All right. Well, welcome to today's episode of Assessment Talks. Um, today, we are excited and thrilled to have our guest, um, Dr. Yu Sung Mo, um, to share with us about holistic assessment practices, what you've been working on, uh, neurofeedback, all things related to uh, the counseling world and assessment. We're super excited to have you. Um, and first, just want to see if you want to introduce yourself to our, our audience. Thank you so much, Dr. Julian Blueford, for the introduction briefly. Uh, my name is Yun So, that's it for my first name, Mo, and I'm a licensed professional counselor um, in the state of Pennsylvania, and also I'm licensed in the District of Columbia, and I'm also a professor at Thomas Jefferson University, that's in the Philadelphia area, or more so in the Community and Trauma Counseling Program, and this is going to be my fourth year of teaching if I'm not mistaken, and I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing here as a counselor educator, yeah. Great, wonderful. Uh, and so how did you get into studying assessments and how, how did that become, you know, interest area of yours? So assessment, the way that I see it, is just a tool to get to know human beings better. So when I, the way that I see the assessment is more holistic, if I want to really get to know Dr. Bluebill whether I need to, you know, put all the different pieces put together to make full picture of a puzzle. I think the whole the process I see it as assessment. When I say holistic, just using the wellness identity as a counselor and counselor educator, the integration of mind, body, spirit. Mm. Actually, there's more so. Um, I see human bodies as an ecosystem. So ecosystem mm -hmm. embedded in larger ecosystem. We'll talk more about what I mean by that. So your body is shared with other things. What are those other things? I'm talking about microbes. So you have a lot of microbes in, within and on the surface of your skin, more so in your gut. So your body, I see it as an ecosystem. So get, bringing back holistic approach, integration, mind, body, spirit, and the human microbiome. That's the, how I see the assessment process. Man, that is so incredible. What was it that like led you into this direction? And really, because you know, when we think about assessment, and Jillian and I have talked about this before in teaching the class and really teaching um, a holistic perspective or in the whole client, I don't know that I've even like really um, considered this microbiomes piece. Um, what was it that led you in that direction and how did you start learning about this this is really I'm, cool i'm so glad that you're asking the question so that's part of my career journey so for my undergrad i majored in life sciences more wow. specifically cellular molecular biology so i wanted to study more specifically mammalian body cells multi-cells using some sort of you know rats or mice right but I ended up being in a lab that was focused on microbiology or so bacteriology for a year. So I had to use something that I could not even see with my naked eyes to do an experiment with to successfully graduate for a year. <laughs> but I hated that whole part of it. So I had to switch it to something else like counseling now. But then now I look at the students, education, I have this natural curiosity of, the, you know, the, um, sharing your body with 
microbes is more of them in your gut actually. They are communicating with your health all the time. They're also communicating with you throughout your lifespan. So just using my background, which I had hated back then, now I have a more appreciation of <laughs> their presence. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that happens, right? Something mm-hmm. right. like I can't stand. I felt that way about research. I couldn't stand research. You could not ask me to take another research class. And now it's my jam. <laughs> so I, yeah. So it's interesting how those career journeys really take us in places we didn't quite expect or bring Absolutely. two totally um, different aspects together. But it sounds yeah. like maybe they're really not quite so far apart as I might think. So what the when it comes to like a holistic assessment, what you have in your gut, their biology. When I say microbes, I'm talking about bacteria, archaea. Even you have some viruses. Everyone does, whether or not they are dormant or they are loud. So all of this com like combination of a different small like organisms in your gut, they are closely communicating with your immune system all the time. So if you have a compromised immune system, you're very vulnerable for a number of different health conditions, including mental health. So depression, schizophrenia, PTSD, developmental trauma, all associated with your good health, according to research, right? Human microbiome research. So yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, because it's in it. And that makes sense, right? Because oftentimes if we're going through a lot of stress or like you said, mental health concern, like our immune system isn't as great as it can be. And so we will have other physiological problems that maybe we don't even like associate with like, oh, that's why I'm having headaches all the time or stomach aches. Cause I, you know, I went through this traumatic experience or, you know, I'm suffering from depression right now. And so it's just, yeah, it's there. And like never thought of it as like, oh, we can assess for that. And then like educate people to like, this is how it's all interconnected. That's, yeah. I don't, I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> I know, I know. It really is kind of fascinating. A little bit. <laughs> and another time I'll have to tell you both about how I tried to make my own kombucha and let's just go ahead and <laughs> go well for my gut health. So wow. <laughs> how about that? I don't do that anymore. <laughs> right, right. Sometimes you leave it to the professionals. Right, yes. <laughs> That's interesting. So how do you, like when you really go to approach assessing the, I'm, I know what, I know that you had kind of mentioned the, the mind and the spirit. And I want to say, I really want to talk about this piece too, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but how do you go about assessing the microbiomes aspect when, when you're working with clients? Right. So I'm going to be very transparent. So when you look at the microbiome, one of the ways that I can use within the scope of my practice is talking about your store. So, uh, so there is this medical tool that I can borrow. I'm not using it as a diagnostic tool. It's just part of my assessment tool. But if I use this, it's called Bristol Stool Scale. So there are seven pictures of your different types of tool, stool, mm-hmm. your, your faces. So mm-hmm. depending on the shape of your um, stool or cup, you can tell the condition or diversity even of a microbiome in your gut. 
So that tool is something the medical field is using to even diagnose ideas. But again, I, I don't have that training background, so I can use mm -hmm. a tool as a diagnostic tool. So I explained this to my clients, but we mm -hmm. talked about, are there any changes in your, in when you go to, you know, when you respond to nature calling, do you see any changes in your soul? Wow. Did you change like the use of diet? Like, do you have a higher level of stress? Because if you have a higher level of stress and that affects the types of stool that you might be experiencing. So that's the way that I talk about, well, assess kind of your gut health using your stool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very interesting, um, yeah. very well-studied tool. But again, that's more like, for me, you risk your tool, not the diagnostic tool. Okay. So it yeah. sounds like you almost like really kind of use it as like a, a reference piece to really kind of open up this conversation about the microbiomes and gut health with your client. Yeah, absolutely. And when I do that, some, and also I think assessment is happening within culture and social context, right? So I don't know, some clients might feel uncomfortable talking about their even gut health, their, their stool, their poop, right? But I came from a culture, I was born in South Korea, and mm -hmm. talking about that is very natural. It's not something that some folks would feel uncomfortable with. So I check the condition of a poop with my stool, I should have said, with my husband on a daily basis. So I use that approach sometimes in counseling practice as well. Mm -hmm. Or by informing ahead of time the client that's out of my scope. I'm not using this as a diagnostic tool, but I just wanna see this as a part of your health, overall health. Yeah, that's how I use it. Yeah, and I imagine, I mean, I think you're, you're spot on about the cultural context because that is not a conversation that I have with many people except for maybe my doctor or my doctor. Uh, and so how do you, if you know you're, or how have you when meeting with clients where you're like, this is uncomfortable for them, but it seems necessary, right? Because oftentimes we forget just physical health is also mental health. And so yeah. how do you try to have some more comfortable conversations with someone about their stool? So please don't be laughing at me, but I have my tools. I'm going to show you a little bit what I have. And I typically use these guys with adult clients. Now I'm going to show you, this is your plus toy of gut and I bring it in counseling practice. It's a familiar, it's not something that everyone has a gut, it's, but it's a toy. And I start with this something more approachable, user-friendly. And now here you have your gut and you have a little guy still living in your, inside your gut, right? I have this micro plus toys. So they show up in the, my counseling practice. Yeah. This, I think, helps some clients loosen up. Like they are not guarded. Oh, we're talking about like toys, which your mm. gut toy, your organ, and these are guys who are living inside of you. So mm. it's more inviting rather than talking about something very serious, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. They have like just, yeah, plush toys or like something like a visual to help. And I imagine even for if you're working with a younger population, that that's also a great way to have those conversations of just gut health, physical health, have, you know, are you in tune enough with your body to know if things are changing and 
and how do you connect it? Dr. Blubber, I think you said something really important that I want to touch on if I may. Yeah, sure. At the same time, when you approach assessment in this way, a lot, there's nothing wrong with a traditional talk therapy. But depending on who you are serving as a clientele, some folks, especially with the chronic trauma early on, many of those folks do not have the, the ability to um, even identify and describe their emotions, how they're feeling in their body. Right. And if that happens, I need to assess their, so the concept of um, alexithymia, that's the inability to describe and identify your emotions in your body, somato, somato, um, what do they call? Your somatic and cognitive ways of you know, having your emotional experience. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've seen some clients with a chronic stress in counseling practice that they're out of their body. So mm -hmm. traditional talk therapy may not be the optimal, um, you know, approach for mm -hmm. the type of client, then I would tend to use more of like a neural feedback or biofeedback. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so what does that look like? So kind of this neurofeedback piece and yeah. how are you, um, even kind of really communicating those results to the client too, because this mm. is these are very advanced topics, um, and so I imagine there's some difficulty to really kind of explain the the purpose, but also the interpretation to the client too. Absolutely. So the concept of biofeedback, I just wanted to make sure that I'm in the process of getting certified mm -hmm. in EEG neurofeedback. So when I say EEG, I'm talking about encephalo-brain-assisted um, um, neurofeedback. And when I say biofeedback, it's a more umbrella term that includes mm -hmm. neurofeedback. Okay. And neurofeedback has a variety of different kinds of services within neurofeedback also. So what I'm practicing is EEG neurofeedback. What that looks like, so I would have this equipment in the um, counseling in a room, and then I'm going to invite the client to sit on a chair. They're just watching kind of a video game on the screen. At the same time, I am going to attach sensors on the scale of their brain, wow. right? So what they see on the screen, they're just playing a game. Sometimes they also get to watch some their favorite TV programs on Netflix. While they are doing the sensors, what they're doing, they're reading their brain activities in frequencies. But clients do not get to see that. That's more important for me as part of our assessment. The clients are just watching their TV playing games. But what that does is it's not invasive at all. So it's a more of a way to communicate better with your body. So that's what you are getting feedback from your body. They're not infusing anything embedding anything into your body, whether we're getting the feedback from your brain, your brain is responsive to what they see, what they hear. So that's part of biofeedback. So that session looks like somebody's just sitting watching a video clip, but I am <laughs> sitting next to them because I wanna um, look at how client is responding to those stimuli, visual, auditory stimuli. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what the easing of the vaccination looks like. Wow. Very so do cool. you... now that sounds like a cool session though to like pull up your Netflix right. and like you know, get started. <laughs> right. right. That's the type of uh, therapy sessions I want. Right. Uh, and so <laughs> once you so you're you're sitting next to them, um, looking at the feedback that their body is providing, their brain is providing. Um, and how do you explain like what I imagine to be some complex data that you're gathering how do you explain it to the client in a way that it makes sense to them i think that's a really question and i would depend uh, that would depend on what type of client some client mm-hmm. they do not even care about what i see in their brain waves mm-hmm. what they want to do when we do the neurofeedback our clients are at a resting state very relaxed they're not really working their brains are working very hard because they're watching a video game, Netflix drama whatsoever. But some clients just do not want to talk even about brainwave whatsoever. If mm-hmm. that's the, what client preferred, I do not go if I do not do like like um assessing visuals with that type of a client. However, some clients are very interested in learning more about oh, how my brain is doing today. It's like mm-hmm in live session. So what you see when you do the EEG neurofeedback on the screen on my end as a counselor, your brain activity has some things. So there are alpha wave, delta wave, theta wave. So your mm-hmm. brain waves are organized in four or five different frequencies. Every brain has an individualized way of communicating. However, if you have a brain that doesn't seem to have a very regulatory, you know, ability, then you're going to have like smoothed those brain patterns. I see that. So alpha wave should be in a certain frequency, but it goes out of that normal frequency. Then I would probably need to talk or I would bring that to the client's attention. So oh, your alpha wave is working too hard today because you're trying to really like look into certain scene of the video game, for example, mm-hmm. where you are thinking something else than what you see from the screen. Then I would invite the client to have a conversation about that. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, your mention of like alpha waves and theta waves, like it's bringing back like anatomy classes that I took a long time ago. So it's starting to, it's starting to click, but it, oh. it seems like it depends on the, the client itself and, and whether they they really want to know, you know, what you're seeing or if not. And one so, of the things that's really interesting is it is that as I'm thinking about it, it's really not often that we really get assessment data that's live like this, mm-hmm. right? That when we ask questions, we're asking our client to respond typically retrospectively, right? How have symptoms been in the last two weeks, in the last however long, um, have you ever experienced this, you know? And so to be able to really get this data in real time, yeah, I can't in the moment, can't think of something unless, you know, a mental status exam where we're really like looking and observing, but it's not often in counseling that we really get this data like this right in front of us in real time. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the merits, the beauty part of this real-time neurofeedback slash biofeedback assessment. Yeah. Wow. 
And so I know part of your work, um, and I don't, I don't mean to pivot us uh, too much, but I know that there is part of your work that's also around traumatic stress and this developmental tra traumatic stress as well, and how this um, biofeedback and the EEG neurofeedback and even the, the biomes, um, how does that fit together with with traumatic stress. Can you share, and you're going to have to teach me at least a lot. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that's a big word. Kate, I don't let us share the knowledge that I have, the training background that I have with you. Um, <laughs> so the traumatic stress, it's because of the nature of the counselor ed program that I'm working at. So it's a community and trauma counseling program. So there is, mm -hmm. so by KCREB, we are, the curriculum is meeting those standards by KCREP in a specialized area of clinical mental health counseling, right? right. But there is an additive part to it, trauma part and also community engagement. Those mm -hmm. are interwoven or integrated throughout the curriculum. So wow. because of the nature of the program, trauma or trauma stress is just part of my daily work life. Mm -hmm. So when we say tra uh, traumatic stress, we should, well, I should stress as a part of your evolutionary normal part of your bodily response. For example, just me being in this podcast, this is a part of a stress because this is not something that I do on a daily basis where I'm interacting with somebody that I have not met or, right? But this mm -hmm. is part of positive stress because mm -hmm. it's stimulating and staying engaged with you. I'm not nervous, I'm running away. I'm just staying relaxed, engaged. So this is a stress, but it's a positive stress. Mm -hmm. But there is a tolerable stress that is something that you do not necessarily want to. You lose somebody maybe mm -hmm. due to whatsoever, but this could be tolerable, or they may not be tolerable depending on whether or not you have a support system to cope with that stress, right? That's part of a tolerable stress, but toxic or traumatic stress is something that is not necessarily part of your day-to-day -day life or development. Nonetheless, it happens a lot, especially if you think about adverse childhood experience as one of the landmark studies in the United States. The prevalence of trauma exposure in US general public is way too high. So traumatic stress is something that the shakes your system. You can, your body cannot handle it. It just goes out of your tolerance window and maybe many times you're trapped, stuck in that experience and also maybe did not have enough coping strategies, support systems to recover or heal from immediately. So that's the way that I see, or that's the way that I conceptualize traumatic stress based on my experience. When I say my personal and as a professional experience in addition to the literature um, yeah. in traumatology. Yeah. yeah. And how that comes to my practice is that, so neurofeedback, there's a lot of surprisingly efficacy studies done recently. Bessel van der Kork, PG group, has done at least two efficacy studies to establish how efficacious the, um, the intervention of neurofeedback could be for folks with early childhood chronic trauma. Wow. So what it 
methodology is that currently the EG neurofeedback is not a treatment intervention registered with FDA. It's an intervention for performance improvement. It's not covered by a lot of health insurance either. So what it does is it helps you see calm your nervous system, calmer enough to actually get to work, trauma work. So it helps with your regulatory system to maximize it, to calm down. Because if your alarm system goes off and you can't turn it off, it goes off, off, you can't really do anything about it. But EEG neurofeedback would ask you, to, it's okay. I'm gonna turn it off your alarm system like off so that I have this calmer presence to do the actual work related to trauma. Wow. You know, and it's so interesting because as you're talking, you know, I do a lot of work in consulting with teachers and school districts and really supporting them to understand that sometimes um, their students' behavior or lack of engagement in the classroom is a trauma response. It's not mm. that they don't want to be there. It's that they are reacting to um, yeah. the trauma. And so it's so interesting because I, I'm literally picturing students and, and colleagues and teachers I've consulted with and, and their um, you know, their students are not able to engage. They're not able to focus and concentrate. Um, they're I'm even picturing the hypervigilance, even the um, kind of the jitteriness, the constant moving, um, looking around um, even. Yeah, I mean, I'm really like picturing what you're saying because this is, a, this is exactly what I see when I work with, um, with teachers in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because I'm, I'm trying to remember where I read this or where I heard this, but you know, um, before getting my PhD, I worked with, um, with adolescents and many of them were often in, um, you know, worked in, or some sort of involvement with juvenile justice. Um, and there were a lot of times when, if there was a childhood trauma that had happened, um, or a, some sort of kind of persistent abuse or neglect that happened very, very early on. These kids don't remember, but mm. it, I always found this interesting and I couldn't, I can't say correlation, right? My researcher side of me won't say that, but I did kind of see this connection between this, the, the kiddos that I worked with that had this early, early on trauma or, or neglect and these, um, the behavioral aspect and the um, running away, the not being able to focus, the kind of physical or verbal aggressive behaviors um, that really presented later in adolescence. And I'm trying to remember where I read this, but I, it was kind of like the way that it was somewhat described to me was that mm -hmm. the brain was developing in this like excited state and that begins to feel like baseline that begins to feel mm -hmm. like normal so then in adolescence as the brain has now developed in this excited state yeah then these are what the behaviors now look like right yeah is that I kind of am i making these connections correctly Absolutely. it's really kind of just blowing my mind it, here really resonate with me. I mean, we as counselors, our part of our counseling identity, is, you know, like wellness, human development, brain develops throughout, even as a fetus, 
all the way up to until you die. Mm -hmm. But there is a sensitive period for the, your brain to be developed in a certain manner. And I see it as when you build a house with the architectural plan, you need to have a foundation stable, right? That's the found core development of brain. But if you do not have the foundation stable, then if you build house on top of, it's gonna be the wobbly house. That's how I see the, the function of nervous system. Wow. So whatever happens to you in early childhood, whether or not it's a traumatic or you know, stressful or adequate, however you describe it, it's like foundation is not stable to begin with. Without mm -hmm. having early innovation, even if it, we built the house, there would be something going on with this house because foundation is not stable enough to be built the house on. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love that metaphor because I also think about clients I've worked with in the past. And, and even when I'm teaching, I'm talking to students now of those who have been through a consistent experience of trauma. Right. Um, and that's been going on for years. And whether it's systemic trauma or generational trauma, like yeah. the foundation, like you mentioned, it, it's never been stable. So of course, everything is going to seem like it's like, you know, exaggerated response or your lack of engagement or, you know, because it, the baseline, like you mentioned, Jennifer, or just like the, what we would expect was never developed. Without, without having proper intervention early on. As right. we all know, our bodies are very vigilant and flexible, but when we miss the sense of the window to develop optimal brain health on top of that constant stressors without having proper innovation, that house is gonna collapse at some point, right? That's what we see right. behaviorally, whether or not inattention or hypervigilance, even a lot of abdominal pain through the somatic, mm. you know, mm -hmm. manifestation of early childhood. So mm. that's also related to human gut microbiome, actually. The trauma affects not only brain development, but your gut development as well. According to research, so yeah. Yeah. My mind is blown. <laughs> this yeah. is really cool stuff. Right, yeah. So how do you, and do you, you know, as a counselor educator, our, and you mentioned that, you know, the program that you're, you're with now, like it's, all of this is infused into the curriculum, which seems like that, like that, we need to infuse it into all of our <laughs> curricula. Mm -hmm. uh, Say it again. Mm -hmm. And like how, how, what ways have been more effective for you to like really showcase it in the curriculum so that students can like really understand what you're trying to say about how this is all affecting our body and our health? So literally every, so we have this curriculum of 60 credit, you know, um, clinical mental health counseling by KCREP for our name is Committed Trauma Counseling Program, right? Each of those 20 courses does have some trauma content component interwoven within the individual courses already. I can give you a more specific example, right? Like I just came out of my class right before I joined you for this podcast and I'm teaching psychopathology mm -hmm. this semester. So when you conceptualize someone's health with a focus given to mental health, you need to think about these 
number of different, we use biopsychosocial, but actually what I'm using is biopsychosocial and lifestyle model that has been implemented in Australia. And that does contain your integration of mind, body, spirit, and hemomicrobiome. So I have an infographic of all those. Sounds very um, comprehensive, very like something abstract, but once you visualize it, I think it's more digestible to students. And then trauma is just part of your assessment when it comes to any kind of assessment actually in mental health. So as mm -hmm. I talked about earlier on, does, does your client have ability to verbalize, identify how they are feeling their emotions, mm -hmm. right? We talked about inability to do so using alexithymia. So you need to assess whether or not this client is experiencing any kind of those inability to describe, identify their emotions in their body using verbal. If not, you gotta do, you gotta, do something about it mm -hmm. right so every kind of assessment comes with <laughs> with early childhood assessment piece to it mm. whatever we do that's always a trauma piece to, because of the way that our curriculum was designed mm -hmm. i i think i'm just lucky to be in this particular setting i don't do much about a little setting the system is there i can just mm. add more tools within a little system so i'm mm. so lucky to be yeah in this yeah particular curriculum. Yeah. One of the things that I always tell my students is that trauma does not discriminate. It does mm -hmm. not care who you are, where you've been, age, race, gender, um, class, whatnot. Trauma doesn't discriminate. And so that is so powerful to really be able to give this in-depth uh, trauma lens to the students yeah. and to our yeah. field, to our field, really. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I always try to stress to my students that, um, you know, engage with like their K through 12 students as if, you know, like they have been through something traumatic because it's most likely that they have and, and not wait until you hear something to then have that mindset shift. Like how do we be trauma informed in every capacity, mm -hmm. knowing that everyone, cause it's, it is so, you know, it's contextual it's perceptual, like of what we consider a traumatic response, right? Or traumatic experience. And so if we go in with that mindset of like, oh, everyone has experienced this, then we can, then we can actually like, like you said, get to, can they verbalize this? Can they process this? Where, like, what's the baseline? How, you know, shaky is the house? Uh, and then we can, we can start to do some work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm curious, where do you see the future direction of our field? <laughs> and because I don't know that there are many counselor educators who are really kind of connecting quite literally this physical and mental health piece. Um, and so I'm curious, what are your thoughts about the few that are um, that are really kind of paving the way? And where do you see the future of our field going? Absolutely. I actually, that was my initial thought when I, before I joined this collective movement called neurocounseling, well, actually that's integration of neuroscience into counseling practice, right? That's kind of description of neurocounseling, but also there are other terms to refer to the same thing. 
So this neural counseling as a movement actually started back in 2015. So Dr. Ellen Ivey, Dr. Um, Edith Beeson, um, Dr. Lori, I can recall her last name, Tom Field, we have a, a number of counselor educators that are licensed professional counselors, they are counselor educators who are kind of nerdy enough to consider to begin with. So why don't we, so we are talking about our identity as a wellness profession, meaning the integration mind body spirit, we gotta do something better about this integration, integrative approach to more holistic approach to human health. So mm -hmm. this movement has been there. I was lucky enough to be invited into this particular group called Neural Task Force within AMCA, uh, also American uh, Mental, well, I'm sorry, Association for American Mental Health Counselors. Um, I'm actually saying wrong. American Mental Health Counselors Association, I'm sorry, which was one of the divisions of ACA, but unfortunately, they, I'm sorry, it's unfortunate what it, they were separated out. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we did AMCA, there's a neuroscience task force, and I am one of the co-chairs of the task force beginning this year. And we are in the process of building um, training program for entry-level um, masters, professionals, and counseling students to learn more about how to integrate neuroscience into their, you know, their counseling practice. That's just this one way. And I think this might come more to our field and just naturally, and this is very closely intimate related to trauma, because if you think about trauma, it's not only you can, we'll talk about trauma or its effects of a trauma from behavioral perspective. Also, you gotta look at spiritual aspect, you got to look at neurobiological lens of trauma. So one of the co uh, courses we have in our program is a neurobiology of trauma. So those are entry-level master students are taking this pretty critical course in neurobiology of trauma already. So if we are not superhuman, we just are nerdy enough to, <laughs> to start. Now <laughs> we, uh, I just joined. So if we can incorporate this in a very kind of intentional manner, why not other counselor educators, why not mm. counselors, but they need to have administrative support. It's not individual work, it's a collective work. So their department, counseling department mm -hmm. would be willing to be supportive of their collective efforts to incorporate more of neuroscience and trauma into their mm. programmatic curriculum. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting because I imagine the equipment has got to be, I'm sure it's quite a pretty penny. Depending on what kind of tool, there are actually something called stress thermometer. Mm -hmm. You can buy it under $20. Ah. What, it, what it does is that it measures kind of your stress level through your body temperatures. Mm. You just hold that tool if you are activated or the, um, hypoactivated, you're going to have or higher or less body temperature through this thermometer. Because mm -hmm. when you are stressed or stressed out, your blood flow doesn't get to the fingertips. So you have a lower body temperature than usual. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what kind of tools you are using as a part of your biofeedback or counseling. It could be affordable, but if you're talking about like a more advanced, easy neurofeedback, it, it is expensive for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Listen, less than 20 bucks, you had me. I'll, I'll right, right. I'll start, <laughs> I'll start with that one. And then, you know, as I, I grow in my expertise in this area, but it's neat that AMCA is, has like pre, has this task force and is also thinking about training those who are already in the field, but like they want to know about this, or like you said, counseling students that if they are not having exposure to specialty classes that they can still, you know, have this at least foundational knowledge to be able to use yeah. in practice. Absolutely. So cool, yeah. so cool. Well, Jillian, are we ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes. Uh, yes. Do you want to take it away? I will. So um, we have a couple questions that we are asking all of our guests. Some are silly, some are nerdy. Um, but the first one is, what is your software of choice? And now that we've been talking about all the different equipment, you know, this could really be a pretty broad. Right. So yeah, right. so what's I may your have software? no idea. Yeah. What's your software? So software tool, I would say something just sticking to the neurofeedback, biofeedback assessment process. I would say heart math. That's an equipment that, that measures your heart rate variability, how your heart is working today, how heart is communicating with your brain, and also how heart is communicating with your emotional states. You can measure that through that heart math tool. That's my software um, tool of choice today. Very cool. Very cool. So through your assessment practices, and I actually am starting to really like this question because since this is such a different approach, what assessment item or question really sticks out to you as maybe um, one of your favorites or um, something of just really good interest to you? So what assessment item sticks out to you? So assessment items, I would go back to the uh, Alex alexithymia, whether or not you have the ability to identify and describe your emotional states. So there is a particular scale called Toronto Alexithymia scale. It's a self-report scale that's available free of charge. It, it comes with a 20 items self-report measure to look at whether or not you may have uh, some signs associated with inability to identify and describe your emotional states. That is something that I, I do with any kind of whoever I am with in clinical practice to see whether or not do they have the ability to even talk verbally about their emotional states. Wow. I'm going to have to look this up. I think my students would really like this. I Listen, writing this down right now. <laughs> um, so what are you currently working on right now? So in terms of assessment or any kind of? Any work, any work that you want to um, share with us that you wouldn't mind um, sharing that you're working on. So I don't know how much I can share, but I'd like to share because this is something that's very salient and meaningful to me. So I'm working on a textbook that's it's uh, focused on, it's a contracted uh, textbook that's focused on neurobiological stress, how that's interwoven with our counseling practice. So there mm -hmm. is a trauma piece to it, neuroscience piece to it, and neurobiology piece to it. So that is something that's holding my attention very much. Well, but in a good way though, I am, yeah. I, I am yeah. I'm having fun, yeah. 
Oh, that does sound really cool. And way to really like put your passion towards something that could really, you know, support our field and support the next generation right. of counselors. I'm trying. I don't know how that's going to work out, but we'll see. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, and is there someone else whose work that you're really drawn to right now? Yes, absolutely. I would say that um, Dr. Emory Meyer, who is a American, well, he was not born in the United States, but he's currently American gastroenterologist. Who does all, so he's a medical doctor with a focus on your gut health. And his second book just came out this year called, I don't know if I can say that. I don't, I'm not endorsing this book, by the way. It's just something <laughs> that I enjoy. I have no personal tie to this guy, but I just enjoy his um, work. It's called uh, Mind Immune Connection. His first book was Mind God Connection, but the second mm -hmm. book is Mind in God Immune Connection. So that is something, his work is just fascinating to me. Very cool. Well, if he wants to reach out and sponsor something, we're totally fine with that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Um, and what podcasts are you currently listening to? Oh, that's a really good question. Several of them. So I think um, American Counseling Association just started the voice of counseling under Dr. Ken Butler. Yeah. And I, one of the episodes recently about gun violence, oh, I wow. found it very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Because in our Philadelphia area, it's just higher. I mean, we are losing a lot of folks due to gun violence in this area. So, uh, yeah, wow. Um, and last, just tell us something good. Something good. So I would encourage you to think about your gut health through your stool today. Is it not something that taboo anything like that? That's what everyone does. But the condition of your stool tell so much about your health condition. So just paying more attention to it as a part of your daily even routines may bring in something that you haven't really noticed, you haven't really experienced before. Yeah. So <laughs> what you're saying is that when I walk in on my partner in the bathroom <laughs> and she gets mad at me, I can be like, it's fine. I'm checking up on your health. Right. right. So this is what I hear you saying. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do that with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. what, what do I, what should I think about if there's a, not to get too personal here, but a lack thereof, should I say, what should I be concerned about? What am I concerned about? Right. If we're not going to the bathroom. Right. If there's not a, a <laughs> right. stool sample. Oh. Right. That's oh, gotta not be good, right? Well, we need to refer out for uh, a yeah. higher level of care. Ah, <laughs> refer out, yeah. Right, right. That's, good, um, That's out of our scope. Right, right. Of our practice. At the, right. Right. the other kind of doctor, right? We'll go to the other right, kind of doctor. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I have so much enjoyed this and yes. I appreciate you answering all of my questions and just really, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you yes. so much for this opportunity. And again, I, I don't know if I can say, but I really want to you know, pay my appreciation and gratitude to Dr. Elizabeth Kronk for recommending me as part of your guest for this podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen, we, you know, one in many conversations Jillian and I have had about this project is really uplifting scholars and scholars of color. And 
that that was so important to us. And so that was really met in that spirit. And we are so mm -hmm. grateful that she connected us as well. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me. And I yeah. enjoyed working with you in this particular context today. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Association for Assessment and Research and Counseling. Creators of assessment talks include Drs. Jennifer Deaton, Dr. Jillian Bluford, Dr. Andrew Burke, Kendall Tarzars, and the 2021 AARC Emerging Leader, Dr. Zach Budza. Special thanks go to Dr. Patrick Mullen as the chair of the assessment committee and the AARC executive board for allowing us to pursue this project. You can find this episode and more free on Spotify.